Well, today I come before you <laughs> to give you hope this Christmas season. Uh, our hope is rooted, in fact, in the birth of Jesus Christ who came to us 2,000 years ago. Uh, but before I can give you a message of hope, I really do need to share with you some of my feelings. Uh, yes, I want to show you how I feel. And honestly, I think how I feel is how a lot of people feel. And uh, I have this weird feeling. I feel a weird tension between hope and reality. Hope and reality. You know, let's talk about hope. Hey, Christmas is coming. We're all going to celebrate Christmas. Yes, I will wear the matching pajamas. I'm going to tear open some presents. I'm going to eat some things. And that's going to be exciting. But Christmas is only fun and only exciting for some of us because for others. You know, the fact is, when you look around our world, it feels like our world is on fire. You don't have to look very hard to see that there's folks who are really struggling. And when I try to reconcile the good times that I plan to have this Christmas with what I see happening in the world, the terrible things that happen around us all the time, and uh, what I read about in the Bible, I just say to myself, you know, like, people, we need help. The humans, we've not done so good overall. We need somebody that can help us get out of whatever it is we're in. And again, you don't have to look very hard to see that the, you don't have to look very hard to see the inefficiencies of the air conditioning being used in the middle of winter. Now you don't have to work very hard to see that there's problems in our world. And in a lot of ways, this Christmas, I just look at myself, I think to myself, you know, hey, I'm not sure that the world needs any more of my really big ideas. The world doesn't necessarily need more of my, like, great uh, opinions about life or the, my opinions on the government or the poor and on and on and on. And what I think, what I really believe is that on the subterranean levels of our heart, the thing we're actually looking for, the thing we're actually looking for isn't a better pro tip, it isn't a better uh, set of techniques, it isn't better advice, it isn't a better written academic paper that... Uh, confirms our predisposed biases and opinions. What we need is not more of ourselves this Christmas. What we need, what I believe we need, is a mighty God. You and I both need a mighty God. Now, I want to read some verses in Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah, who foretold about the coming of the Messiah, which means deliverer. Messiah means deliverer. And Isaiah foretold that, that this Messiah would come, and I think it's a perfect lead-in for Christmas. Here's what we read. If you're following along, we have a little handout, and there's some things you can fill in the blank if you want to. Um, in Isaiah 9, 6, it says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You see, this Christmas, we don't need more of my ideas. Maybe we need some of yours, but maybe not. What we need is a person. We need a mighty God. Now, I want to talk with you about this today. So I'm going to pray and invite God's presence to be with us. Will you pray with me? And uh, then I'll explain what I mean. So God, we invite you to be here today. We don't need more of ourselves. So look at the world, a lot of it's on fire, God. We need you. We need a mighty God. And so God, I ask you to help me to speak as I should, that you would lead us to understand you and to know what you're up to in our world. Give us, a, 
give our time. We give our time to you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I just read some verses from Isaiah. Now, Isaiah is a prophet, and this prophet had, for the leading chapters leading up to this, this prophet had been writing to the people of Israel because there was evil leaders who were doing evil things, and the people had turned astray uh, and were worshiping idols. And so because of the poor leadership and because of the idols, there was a spiritual fog across the whole country of Israel. But Isaiah promises that even though there's a spiritual fog across the whole country, that a Messiah, a deliverer would come and would begin to do things. And in this deliverer, in this Messiah, would be the activities of God himself. That this Messiah would be a mighty God. Now, I'm going to teach you something right now, and I want to see all of your lips moving. This is your Hebrew lesson for the day, okay? So uh, who took foreign languages growing up at all? Did anyone take Hebrew by chance? Uh, you t- of course, the seminarian did. Yeah, anyone else? It was just like, Hebrew sounds fun. Yeah, okay, got it over there, Mr. Will- Mr. Wilson. Yeah, awesome. And so, same, same for you, seminary? Cool. So, you guys, this all be old hat. Um, and so, but you're going to learn a Hebrew word right now. Uh, and this is it. The Hebrew word is the Hebrew word for mighty. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but the Bible wasn't written in English, not even uh, New King James English. It was written, parts of it were written in Hebrew, and, and some were in Greek, and some were in Aramaic. And uh, so, uh, the Hebrew word for mighty is Gibor. Everyone say Gibor. That was really good on the first time. I don't have to do the thing where I ask you to do it again. That's so awesome. Gibor. Say it one more time, actually. Gibor. Yeah, cool. It was like a wave that started here and ended over there. <laughs> Throw your hands on the air, Gibor. So, Gibor. Gibor meant different things. And if we really want to capture what God is up to this Christmas with Jesus, when we read about mighty God, we have to understand the full picture of this word Gabor, Gabor. And so first, now if you're taking notes, this is the time to take notes, ready? First, mighty God, is, it meant that, that God would be a God of strength, the God of strength. That's your first fill-in. And strength, strength meant that the deliverer, Jesus, would have endurance. He would have stamina. There would be perseverance in his life. And, like, we have this benefit because we get to look back at the life of Jesus and see to see what he ended up being. And what we see is that we look at the life of Jesus, that he was full of strength. He was full of confidence. His character was full of endurance. And he exhibited hope to the people in need. Just read with me the stories of Jesus. How many times, how many times where, like, there would be something that would be going on and, um, you know, Jesus would be out with people and then someone would come up to him and they would be, Jesus, like, my daughter is dying. My daughter is sick. I don't know if she's going to make it. She's on the brink of death. Or my friend, he's sick. I need you to come do something. All hope is lost. And what would Jesus do in those moments? What would Jesus do? What would you, would he freak out? He's like, oh no, no. What he would do is he would say things like, fear not. He would say things like, hey, don't worry about it. She's only sleeping. Or he would say, hey, don't worry about it. Death isn't the final word. He would exude this confidence, this strength, this stamina. There was something there. And then what he would do is he would jump in and he would make the situation right. This Christmas, you have access to the God of strength. 
There is no situation that is too strong for God. There is no situation in your life where all hope is lost. There is a God of strength who wants to draw close to you this Christmas. And so how do you access? Here's how you access the God of strength. This is the only way I know how to do this. This is what I want you to do. If you're taking notes, what I want you to do is write it down. What is the one area where you need the strength of God? Write it down. Where do you need endurance to see something through that needs to be done? You have to see it all the way through to the end. Where do you need God to give you supernatural perseverance to do what needs to be done? What is it? Write it down. It could be in a relationship that you have. It could be in a job. It could be in something, something else that I don't even know about that you're not even, you're like kind of tilting your paper right now so no one else can see what you're writing because it's so personal. Whatever it is, write it down. And what I would say to you is, what I want you to do is pray for something specific. Pray for God's strength. Pray it simply and pray it straightforward. Pray for it every single day for 30 days. And then you see what happens. And what you will find is, slowly but surely, there will be a supernatural strength that will start to come into your life. There will be a stamina, a will to persevere where you didn't have the will before. And you will find that you're going to have more energy to do the things that God has invited you to do, not because of your own strength, but because there's something that's coming into your life. This is the only way I know how to do it, folks. You have to ask for it. You have to ask for it, and you have to do it regularly. And my hope is, is that you would do it, and as a result of doing that, you would see the God of strength come to you in a new way this Christmas. Okay? Second, when we talk about mighty God, mighty was a reference to power. The God of power. You can write that down. The God of power. Now, part of the definition of mighty God means that Jesus, the Messiah, would have power. Now, by definition, the word power is different than the word strength. The word strength had more to do with endurance and stamina and perseverance and stuff like that. But power is different. Power is the ability to do something where something wasn't happening. It's the ability to change something. It's the ability to bring into existence something that wasn't there before. And then we look at the life of Jesus. We see that that's what he was. That's what he did. When Isaiah talks about a mighty God coming in the Deliverer, in the Messiah Jesus, we see that Jesus was full of power. Just look at the stories of Jesus again. What do you see? Jesus is just trying to go to a party. And his mom is like, can you turn the water into wine? Can you just do that, son? And she's, he's like, no problem, water into wine. We see that like the wind and the waves obey him. Jesus is in a boat with the disciples. There's a storm, and they're going to die from the storm. And Jesus is like, stop, be quiet. And everything just shuts down. He would go into towns, and there would be like dozens and dozens and dozens of sick people that couldn't get healed, that weren't well, that something bad was going to happen to them. They were probably going to die. Jesus would go in, and he would like, I don't think they had hospitals, but they probably had some kind of equivalent. Uh, we don't know if it was like an HMO or situation or whatever, but there'd be like there'd be like a serious there'd be like a serious amount of sick people. He would go in; they were unhealthy. There was problems with these people. He would go in and he would heal every last single person. And then the doctors would come out and be like, "Where's all the sick people?" And well, JC came through; they're all healed now. He would clear out the hospital if they had those. He basically, everywhere he went, he was tapped into the supernatural power that was given to him to make the wrong things of the world right again. This Christmas, you have access to the power of God. 
So let me ask you a personal question. Where do you need God's power this Christmas? Where do you need a miracle? Where do you need a breakthrough that will require power that will have to come outside of yourself? I know there's a lot of capable people in this room, but where do you actually need God's power in this moment? And some of you, some of you need a miracle of healing in your body this Christmas. And some of you have friends and family or loved ones that need a miracle of healing. Some of you don't need a miracle of healing. There's nothing wrong with your body, but you just need a way forward where there seems to be no way forward. You know what? Jesus offers his power throughout the Bible and the words of Jesus and the testimony of the disciples and the testimony of the saints all throughout the history of the last 2,000 years and the testimony of our church and the people we know who follow Jesus around this city and around this world, all the testimony adds up and it says there is an actual power that's available to us right now. No, we don't just need to wait until we're dead. The Christian life wasn't just meant to be fire insurance where you pray a prayer, which means you get to avoid hell and then one day you get to go to heaven, but in the meantime, you're just biding your time and saying, oh, I can't wait to get to heaven. No, there's a real spiritual power connected to the person of Jesus that's available to you right now. Do you believe that? Do you believe that that's possible? Do you believe that there's a God of miracles that wants to give you America? So what do you do? How do you access it? How do you access it? It's kind of the same as the first point. You ask. The only key difference I'm going to say here is I'm going to add a little twist to it. You ask in the name of Jesus. You know, the Bible says that there is power in the name of Jesus, and for anybody who asks for power in his name can receive it. And so what you do, what I want you to do right now, there's a little slot, write down an area of your life where you need God's power. Not the strength piece, not the stamina, not the... Where do you need God's power? Could be a personal issue. Could be a financial issue. It could be a health issue a legal issue. It could be that you want others to experience the same power you're experiencing in your life, but you don't know how to actually translate that to your friends and family. So God, help me. Give me power to connect with them. And what I want you to do is the same thing as point one. I want you to write it down, and I want you to pray for it every single day. And when you do, you pray. You say, in the name of Jesus, I pray for this. I ask for this. And you pray with expectation. You pray with hope. You pray that God would do something. And here's what you're going to find. And this is important for you to hear. You will find, here's what I can promise you. I can promise you that God's going to do something. Now, I don't know if he's going to do exactly what you want, the way you want it, and the timeline that you want. Lord, give me the secret numbers to the mega millions. Not sure he's going to do that. But what he might do is he might provide for you financially in a way that you didn't expect. God, I want you to heal my body in this way. We don't, we see when we pray for people, we don't always see people get healed, but we do see, get, we do see that God heals sometimes. And sometimes God heals in a timeline that we weren't expecting. And what I can tell you is he may not do it the way you want to do it or when you wanted to do it or in like the way that makes you feel best, but he will do something. When we pray for God's power, it's promised to us you will experience God's power. Guys, um, I have more to say about this, but I think it's really tied to our third point. Now, when we talk about, I'm going to move on now. Uh, the, the God of uh, the mighty God, um, one of the aspects that the writer Isaiah meant by this, that was understood at the time that it was written, 
was that the mighty God, and you can fill this in, that the mighty God would be our hero. God, our hero. And when the Isaiah the prophet wrote about the Messiah back in the day, he wrote it that in many ways that this Messiah, this deliverer, this mighty God that would come would be a hero, a hero to the people. Now, when you and I think of a hero, we may think of a lot of different things. But one of the hallmarks of hero, the word hero, is a person who demonstrates what? Demonstrates courage. Courage. And what is courage? You know, when a hero demonstrates courage, what is courage? I think of, you know, I think it's a lot easier to describe than it is to define what a hero is. Don't you agree? When I think of a hero, I think of, um, you know, you, you hear these people that, uh, like, they step in. Uh, like, I think of a firefighter that runs into a burning building, and they come out with people <laughs> that they're helping, and you go, wow, that took a lot of courage. They People who sacrifice themselves in the imminent, in, in face of imminent danger. You think of um, people that put their life on the line, um, you know, um, just read that terrible story of that shooting in Michigan. Uh, did you hear about that one kid? Uh, I think his last name is Tate or something. This guy runs up, and like, you know, I don't know, you know, and there's a lot of complications to the story. But in doing so, he lost his life, but he kind of brought the whole thing down and prevented more people from, from being killed by the shooter. And the whole school, like, saw it. And you're like, wow, that took a lot of courage to jump in and do something like that. Or you think of someone that's like, you know, um, no, I'm just going to move on from that. But like, you know, courage is in fact that. It's stepping in. It's jumping in. It's doing something even though it, uh, it, just because it's the right thing to do, it's very hard. Now, when you look at the life of Jesus, what do we see? We see a hero. We see someone that demonstrated courage. During his time on earth, Roman soldiers were bullies. You had the religious elite who were also bullies. And most of the time, just people tried to avoid the religious elite and the Romans because they didn't want to be executed or excommunicated from society. But what we see is that Jesus didn't care. Jesus didn't care about that. He didn't cave. He showed courage. He stood up to political and religious bullies, and he told the truth, and he didn't care about the consequences, even though that could have meant something personally harmful for him, even though the other people were afraid of it. And so this Christmas, you can draw close to God our hero, which is the God of courage. And as you and I look around the world, I just know that our world needs supernatural courage. We need to be courageous. We need to be courageous during this COVID-19 pandemic. We need to continue to, be, to demonstrate courage in that. We need to be courageous to stand up for the poor, the orphan, the widow, the immigrant, the single mom, people who have been polarized by a polarizing political climate. We need courage. We need to be courageous, even though the boss is doing things that are unethical. We need to be courageous to say no to the people who are leading us down a bad path to do things that are not good for us. And we need to be able to have the courage to say yes, to say yes to the right things that are not easy to do. We need to be able to do both. So let me encourage you about what courage is. 
Let me get, let me just uh, say something about this. You know, a lot of people go, yeah, I would love to have more courage in my life. I would love to have the attribute of courage, like just like Jesus had it. I got to tell you, courage isn't the absence of fear. Courage is the willingness to go forward to do it even though you're experiencing fear. Courage is the uh, willingness to do the right thing even though you're afraid. Most people who exhibit courage aren't people who have no fear. They always have, there's always going to be a little bit of fear. They have fear. I have fear too. But, but to be courageous is like you don't have to have zero doubts or worries in the back of your mind. But courage is something that is exhibited and celebrated after the fact. Like, we don't call the firefighter courageous until after she runs into the burning building. Right? We call her courageous, like, after she runs in. You know what I mean? Like, we go, wow, that took a lot of courage for her to do that. But that's after the fact, right? And so here's how you develop courage. You know, first, you have to recognize that developing courage is just simply different than writing down an area of your life where you need God's courage. But if you're going to write something, then go ahead. Like, yeah, we need God's strength. We need God's power. Yeah, we need courage. God, we ask for God courage, but I get that. But the difference with courage and the other two is that courage often requires our participation. You know what I mean? Like I say this with all affection, the way we develop courage is to just do it, is to just do it. I want you to think Nike, just do it. And the, if you want to become the kind of person who develops the pattern of courage in your life, the only way I know for you to do it is just to jump in. You have to take a risk. You can't be courageous before the risk. You have to take the risk. You have to take the risk and to do the hard thing in order to develop courage. Risk always precedes courage, always. Courage requires risk, and risk by definition is risky. It's always vulnerable. You don't always know what the outcome is going to be. That is why it is called risk. So I want to connect this with how God may require you to demonstrate risk which can create the kind of experience where you get to exhibit courage. And in my experiences with God, in, whenever I've wanted to experience God in a deeper way, whenever I've wanted to see a breakthrough in an area of my life, whether it's finances in a relationship, uh, stuff with kids, uh, just church stuff, and, or just like, just God, what are you doing? Whenever I've wanted to see a breakthrough, in all my experiences, every time, like every last time, every last time, when I've wanted to see a breakthrough, it has always required some kind of risk on my end. On my end. It's always required a risk for me. Every time we feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit to do something new or to do something that's uncomfortable for us, it's going to require risk. And on some level, after we receive that risk, we're some, at some level, we're just going to say we have to do it. We have to move forward. We have to do it. Every time we read something in the Bible, or every time we learn a new truth about how God wants to change what we're doing, he wants us to align with him. And whenever we read it, it's always like a little something what we call in the Christian church, we call it conviction. We call it the Holy Spirit speaking to us. He speaks to us and you go, wow, you know, I'm certainly not doing that in my life. And if I follow God in this area of my life, wow, that could be risky. Now, I don't know how that's going to turn out. That's always a part of it. You see, God always has a way of inviting us to do things 
that are uncomfortable simply because when we do them, we're exhibiting risk, we're taking a step of faith, and it gives God a chance to develop us. And that's the game, folks. Risk is inherent. It's connected to courage, and courage is the thing that we need most. So let me dial this down for you in a practical way. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, if you consider yourself a disciple of Jesus, great. If you do not, you get to sit this one out. You don't have to listen to me for the next five minutes. Play on your phone. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is in the habit from now until the day you die of giving you opportunities to do things that are hard, that are risky, they will be difficult, and things that will require your will you will be invited to have to just do it. Because God is never going to force you to become something that you don't want to become. It will always require your participation. Are you tracking with me here? Does this make sense? You have to take a risk. So let me ask you, what's the one area in your life that you are hesitant to listen to obey, the, to obey the direction and the wisdom of God. And you, we read in the Bible, uh, you get a sense of conviction in your heart. You say, you know what, I probably need to be doing something. What's the one area, if you were really honest with yourself, with nobody listening or watching or knowing what's going on, what's the one area of your heart you'd say, you know what, I feel like God might be talking to me. This is a where, an area where I need to follow his way. I'm not following God's way in this way in my life. Whatever it is, what is it? What's the one area of your life where if you were, it would require, if you were to do it, it would require, um, it, would require it, would, it would require risk for you to do something. Like you would actually have to change something. Um, during Lent, uh, which is a, a, a season in the Christian church where you, uh, it, it's in the springtime, you usually like give something up uh, for Lent. And uh, my ongoing joke for the last, since forever, People go, what are you going to give up for Lent? And I always go, I'm giving up celery for Lent. And people go, you're the worst. And I go, I know. And uh, this isn't on my script. I'm off script now. Uh, I always think about that because it's like we're always really just willing to align our lives with the truth of God's way when it's super easy. Super easy for me to give up celery because I wasn't going to eat it anyway. But in reality, like, there's much bigger things that God invites us to align with him. And it's just like, we're just, like, not willing to do those things. Like, I'm just going to do my own. Actually, I'm going to align my God, life, God, with giving up celery. And this is not one of those moments right now. Like, you're not invited to risk celery in your life. You're actually invited uh, to risk the real thing. What is the one area? So let me just give you a hint on what that might be. As Americans, God generally, uh, God generally leads us to demonstrate obedience, which requires risk in one of three areas. Our money, our time, and our bodies. With our money. Do you need to demonstrate courage with your money? Some of us need to align our money with the principles of God. You know, Jesus in his earthly life you look at what he talked about, one of the things he talked about most was money because that was the area that people generally held back. They didn't want to, they didn't want to align their money with the principles of God, and Jesus understood that. And a simple way to demonstrate courage is to start treating your money 
like it doesn't belong to you, like it belongs to God. And um, to start doing with your money the things that God says you should do with your money. Now, that means a few different things. It means in the way you give, a tithe, which is a 10% of your income. It means that the way you spend your money, that all the money that comes into you isn't necessarily for you. It means that you're no longer choosing to live beyond your means, and you may need to make cuts and sacrifices in order to live within your means and not to live in debt. And demonstrating uh, courage might mean that you might need to make an actual plan in 2022 to start budgeting your money, to start thinking differently about money, to limit your spending so that you can actually do what God is calling you to do with your money. Uh, And you can begin to say, which actually might require you to say no to the wrong things and yes to the right things. Part Part of this is the giving thing, but part of this is just a healthy view of money. Just because it comes into me doesn't mean that it's necessarily for me. And you look around our world, there is a bunch of people, including our government, that's in a lot of debt. There's a bunch of people with a lot of debt. And God says, whenever you have debt, you are a slave to a slave master. And yet people continue to put themselves in slavery when it comes to money. There's a God that invites us to be courageous. And even though it might be uncomfortable or difficult and it might be a little risky, but God invites us to align our lives with his principles when it comes to money. Will you, is that the area? Is it the area? So it's not just money that, that Americans get pushed in. It's generally uh, another area is your time. Uh, there's a million awesome things to do around Los Angeles. And there's a million ways to spend your time on your phone and on Netflix and all these other things. But sometimes God says it's time to reorder where you spend your time. Maybe it's time to put the phone down. Maybe it's time to shut off all electronics. Maybe we just don't need to run from each adrenaline high to adrenaline high. Maybe there's something about giving our time to those who are in need or giving time to v- developing real human relationships and real person with real people in real time that actually affect us and change us and we're a part of their life. That could be something for us. So it's money, time, and then You know, the big one is usually our bodies. Do you need to demonstrate courage with your body? In the Bible, the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, he says that Jesus' followers, our entire life, our bodies are no longer our own. That when we became a follower of Jesus, when we invited Jesus into our life, when we became Christians... We invited Jesus to be God of every aspect of our life, every part of our life, and that includes our bodies. It includes what you put in your body. It includes how you treat your body, and it includes your sexuality. Now, according to the Bible, sex, the sex life, our sex life, is not just a personal choice between us and another person. Your sex life is an area of your life that requires full obedience to God, which may require you to have to demonstrate a lot of courage because, frankly, God's view of sex is different than popular culture's view of sex. And I sympathize with you here. I I really do. I sympathize with you that demonstrating courage in the area of your body is risky because it could mean that you're ostracized. It could mean that you're rejected. It could mean that someone might not want to be with you. So just stop for a minute and think with me. Is there an area in your life where you would say, you know, 
this is going to be hard. This is going to be really hard, but I need to step out and I need to just do it. I need to demonstrate risk. I need to align my life with the principles of God in this area. This will require risk, but when you do it, when we do it, you're going to see the benefits. You're going to see and experience God in a bigger and a more powerful way. Uh, you're going to experience healing and wholeness that comes from aligning with the principles of God. And you'll be in perfect step with the God who seeks to develop courage in your life and who seeks to develop courage in you, the courage that our world so desperately needs. Courage is something that God is and was, and it represents that he's our hero, but it's something that God wants to develop in you, but not without your participation. And, if, and, if you're, and you know, just as an encouragement, um, if you're like me, I often look at people of the faith or people that are like, wow, they are such a hero to me. How did they develop their life with God? And, that, and like, why? They get to do such cool stuff. They're like so helpful and it's so amazing in what they do. And you're like, you start to unpack their life. And what you see is a track record of time and time again. They're walking, they're doing their life, and then they get a prompting. Hey, God wants me to align my life in this area. They immediately do it. Hey, I'm supposed to align my life with God in this area. They immediately do it. And each time they did it, it required a risk and another risk and another risk. And over time, those risks started to stack up. And their life went from being like afraid of the risks to being more proactive and seeking out the risks because it, they understood that God was developing courage and some, doing something new in them. And when you look back on their life, you're like, wow, they're amazing at like life. It's because they're people that decided to take risks to demonstrate courage, to trust God and to trust his word in areas of their life. So if you want to see those things, you might need to take a risk. And they just did it. Now, lastly, mighty God. Mighty God, when Isaiah was talking about this, meant that he would be a warrior. Mighty God meant warrior back in the day. God, our warrior. Now, when Isaiah the prophet wrote that the mighty God, the Messiah, uh, he wrote this, Many people assumed that this would be like a traditional view of warrior. That the warrior would be uh, a guy with a sword. And he would like slash up everybody, come in and overthrow the government. And like kind of be like a William Wallace in a Braveheart movie. But when Jesus the Messiah steps onto the scene, he didn't do what they thought he would do. We see that he actually did go to warrior, war, but he was actually a warrior that was different than the kind of warrior that they expected. In the stories of Jesus, we see that Jesus went to war with the issues of the heart. We see that Jesus went to war against sin. And sin, let me define sin for you. Sin is missing the mark. It means that when people have missed the mark, you know, I, you know, Jesus understood the same thing that you and I both understand, that missing the mark affects every single human being. Every person misses the mark. Everybody is imperfect. We see that Jesus went to war against the systemic evils of his day, whether it was discrimination or sexism or bigotry or religious exclusion. Jesus went to war against those systems. And he said, this, this type of thing has no place in the future. And he understood that those systems, those evil systems, were actually connected to the sin that lived in every human heart. We also see that Jesus recognized that there was evil spiritual forces in the world. And he went against and fought against those spiritual forces. He was a warrior against them. He cast them out. He called them out. He said they have no place in his future kingdom. And friends, this Christmas... 
There are battles that each of us face. Battles that we don't have to face on our own. There is a warrior in your corner who will fight your battles for you, that will face down your battles. And some of this, this Christmas, either personally or people we know, are battling with addiction, real addiction. And there's a warrior who will fight this battle for us. Some of us are overwhelmed with the systemic evils around us, discrimination and bigotry and all the things that exist. There is a warrior who will fight these battles. Some of us find ourselves in just like a very difficult relationship with another human being. And Ness, I understand you're not the problem. They're, of course, the problem. And I tell you that there is a warrior who will help you fight this battle. And so what we see here in this definition of warrior connected to mighty God is there's an invitation for followers of Jesus to give up. To give up and to let God fight our battles for us. The God of Christmas invites us to give up. And so here's what we do. Here's how you actually do this. You go before God in prayer, similar to the first three points that you were given today. And you go before God and you name the battle. You name it before God. Say, God, this is my battle. This is my addiction. This is my problem. This is my person at my school with the thing and the thing. And this is my oppressive boss. Uh, this is what I'm seeing in terms of injustice around our city, around our world. You go before God and, and, you, and you, in your heart you say, you know, I choose to give you this battle. I trust that you will fight this battle for me. I choose not to dwell on it. I choose not to... Uh, I choose not to make it like a thing that I'm always thinking about. I choose to stop my thoughts from constantly dwelling on it, and I give it to you. And when you do that, when you name it and you release it to God, that's what I'm saying. I'm describing releasing it to God. What you're doing, what you're doing in that moment is you're leaving space for God the warrior to do the unimaginable. He's not going to come through with a sword and blow everything up. Uh, he, what he's going to do is he's going to go to war against the problems and the issues that are around you on your behalf. And you're setting yourself up to see and to and participate in the unimaginable. Are you with me so far? Are we, are we good? Good. Cool. Only another 30 minutes and we'll be out of here. Um, you know, I don't know if the prophet Isaiah fully understood the, the picture here. When he came up with this, when he wrote down this prophecy as, he, as it was foretold that Jesus the Messiah I was going to come. I don't know if he understood all the implications of that, but this is what we do know now. That that name, that name, Mighty God, was most fully expressed, not in some of the miracles or some of his strength here and there. It was most fully expressed. Mighty God was most fully expressed in the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross of Jesus Christ. And when Isaiah wrote those words, he was actually prophesying that the mighty God would come in the form of Jesus, and he, would not just, he was not just a warrior, but that Jesus would be the ultimate warrior by taking on the problem of sin at its core. And he wouldn't just come as some courageous random dude, but Jesus would demonstrate the ultimate act of courage by dying, choosing to lay down his life and dying on the cross. And the Messiah wouldn't just be some strong guy with a lot of power, 
but he would show the ultimate act of strength by enduring the cross and scorning its shame. And he could, he could have chosen to hop off the cross and save himself. He had the power to do that, but he chose not to do that. He chose to stay up there. And here's the big one. Here's the big one. Jesus showed the world his ultimate power because after dying on the cross, he showed that he was the most powerful being that ever existed because he was able to rise from the dead three days later. It's actually in the resurrection of Jesus that we see that his power showed us that there was something way bigger going on. And do you want to know what it is? You want to know what it is? Here's the kicker. Look at Isaiah 9. Read it with me. It doesn't say that he would be called wonderful counselor, mighty man, or mighty rabbi, or mighty prophet. The phrase used to describe would be mighty God. That would be mighty God. The power of the resurrection shows us that he wasn't just some mighty man, that he was and he is a mighty God. And this Christmas... This Christmas, this month, in, in the midst of all the things that are going on, you are invited to draw close to God, who is still faithful to deliver. He is mighty as ever to save. He still is good on his promises. His love, it doesn't fail. He's already won our battles. He's already paved the way. He's already gone before us, and he's waiting for us to come to him. He welcomes us today. This Advent. Advent means the arrival. This, the arrival of the mighty God is here. Jesus the Messiah is here once again. Let's pray. I'm going to pause for two reasons. Just wait for this. But God, we just invite you. We invite you as a mighty God to, um, to be with us in this moment.